your open line sports radio with no boundaries. Give us a call. Studio line 1-802-375-7445. Lines are open for you to talk about any sports-related or not sports-related topic. You can talk about... uh, the rumor is that Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather will uh, fight against each other. Yeah, I doubt it. Or maybe about the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs. Oh yeah, maybe DMLS today. You had NYCFC versus DC United, two nothing NYCFC, and LA as well against New England. LA won that one. Give us a call right now. If you see the number on the screen, the Block Talk Radio number, don't call this number. I won't be able to hear you, so I won't be able to put you in. But you can call the actual hotline, 1-802-375-7445. The way it works is you call, it's going to ring, it's going to ring, then eventually you'll hear the show. When you hear the show, it's because you're next. And when the host, that would be me, says... What's your name? Where are you calling from? That's when it's your time to talk. So tonight on Open Lines After Dark, I want to start by talking about one move that happened last yesterday, actually, in the world of soccer in North America, in the USL, actually. It was a game between the New York Red Bulls 2 and the Pittsburgh River Hounds. And after a red card play, like Carmen Wimet got a red card, he was sent off, but against uh, Romeo Sparks, former player of the Pittsburgh River Hound, I stress the former part because his contract was terminated today. But after we met, get sent off, he's walking off the field. You know, it's fine. He's just not feeling good about what he just did. He just received a red card offendable offense. He's on his way out. Romeo Sparks raises left foot and kicks him karate style in the back. We met gets carted off on a stretcher. Eventually, he was uh, made aware later on. He was he was at the hospital. He could feel his uh, his extremities, and there was no damage to the, the the spine in a way that he was conscious. It was a he wasn't paralyzed. Basically, that was what the news that came out last night. But that vicious, heinous, ugly move that has no place in the world of soccer or sports whatsoever. It's probably one of the worst play I've seen in a game in a sporting event in my entire life. And uh, good on the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, which uh, they terminated the contract of Romeo Sparks today. So at least there's a resolution to that story very quickly. Because, uh, yeah, it's not good uh, for the view for this sport. For Carl, I hope Carl is all right. Uh, it's hard to get some news, but uh, hopefully Carl WMF will be fine. Hopefully it's not the end of his season. What a tough way to finish your season if it is. So, yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. It's ugly. It's the ugly side of sports when you let your emotions take over. Not good at all when you see a player like Calumet, which is a is still beloved in Montreal because he was a player here for the Impact when the first graduated uh, player of the academy since the club was in MLS. So, Calumet still has a place in everybody's heart and imagination in the area of Montreal if you're, they're a soccer fan. Their thoughts are with Cal right now. But it's uh, more than unfortunate. It's it's ugly. And I'm really happy that uh, the Pittsburgh Riverhound, USL, 
have taken steps. We don't know what the disciplinary measures will be yet, but we already know that the Riverhounds have terminated his contracts. So that's that, but uh, hopefully Calvumet, uh, he will be fine. Our thoughts are with UW. Hopefully you will pull through. Now, uh, a news that came out a couple of days ago that I disregarded off the back of my hand, just like this. Because, well, <laughs> Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. Is it possible? Will it happen? Is it something that it's uh, even in uh, the minds of uh, the USC as being possible? We're looking at a... Uh, a player like Mayweather, which is supposedly retired and is running around the world right now. He was in Egypt a few weeks ago, and now he's in, uh, well, I don't know, he's now probably back to Vegas. I don't know, but a boxer like Mayweather, supposedly retired. And Conor McGregor, which right now he's having trouble with the UFC contractually, and they took him off UFC 200, and they're like dangling in front of his face, like, look, you might actually lose your fight with Nadia's. You might have to fight the winner of Aldo and Frankie Edgar for that interim bantamweight title, that featherweight title, that they're going to fight against each other for UFC 200. So is this another negotiation tactic by Conor McGregor and his partners but he's under contract with the UFC. So that's the interesting part because even just back to four hours ago, go to ESPN and read the article that was written by uh, well, the ESPN.com news services. Now, uh, Floyd Mayweather gave credence to reports of a potential fight with Conor McGregor when he told FightHype.com on Saturday that a bout versus the UFC star is, quote-unquote, possible. Mayweather made his comments in Las Vegas before Canelo Alvarez's sixth-round knockout of Amir Khan, which Khan, which was the hype and the, the, the great hope of England in that weight division, just knocked the F out in the sixth round by one straight ride by Canelo. But he was asked by the website about the talk after he might fight an MMA fighter. It's possible, it's possible. There was a name that was a that was a shot at me, but the rumors that y'all have been hearing are the rumors I started. Mayweather said in a video posted by FightHype.com, it may not be a rumor. Keep your fingers crossed. It may be a boxer versus an MMA fighter. So we just don't know. The article continues saying, Mayweather, 39, didn't mention McGregor by name, but The Sun reported last week that Mayweather and McGregor were discussing a fight against each other. A report UFC President Dana White shot down by telling Yahoo Sports which was Kevin Aioli. It's not true, it's just a tabloid story. The 27-year-old McGregor, perhaps responding to Mayweather's comments on Sunday, tweeted a mock promotional poster for a fight between him and Mayweather. <laughs> Mayweather recently has hinted of coming out of retirement. On May 1st, he told Showtime that he had talks with CBS and Showtime about a possible return to the ring. In addition, Mayweather Promotions filed for trademarks to... TMT50 and TBE50 on April 21st. TMT stands for the money team and TBE stands for the best ever. If Mayweather fights again, it would be the 50th fight of his career. Promoter Bob Arum, meanwhile, said last week that a rematch between Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao is a quote-unquote possibility. Mayweather said Saturday if he returns to the ring, 
they'll expect a huge payday in the hundred million. So in the nine figure number was what I heard between the line that Mayweather is looking to make. Because he made close to that, if not that, for the Pacquiao fight. And he will want to do the same for his last fight. Every time I go out there and compete, my number is, of course, 100 million or better, he told FightHype.com. I feel I can demand that. McGregor, the UFC featherweight champion, was left off UFC 200. Uh, you know, the, the whole story we talked about last week on Open Lines After Dark, where Conor McGregor trying to hype up and maybe uh, a negotiation tactics that uh, backfired on him big time. And now that he's uh, ruining his opportunity and trying to find a way to maybe negotiate or politic his way back into that card. And maybe that Mayweather-McGregor fight is tactics and promotion in that aspect. I would feel that it's possible very much. I do feel that it's a an aspect of the fight game that we forget to talk about. That, look, they have to promote. They have to talk about their stuff. And they have to talk about it a lot. And the more they talk about it, the more money they make about it. So, Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather will probably be the most talked about fight combat. Whatever aspect of it, if it's an MMA match. First of all... Like, pragmatically speaking, Connor versus Floyd is a mismatch. Flo, like, I feel Connor's going to take it down and submit him. So you need to, to put the rules in the same way that, look, can't do that because it, it will expose Mayweather too much. And if you want, because people are going to point to the James Tony versus Randy Couture fight that happened in the UFC, they left no chance whatsoever for James Tony to do anything. Because he couldn't clip him with his four-ounce, four-inch glove, got taken down and tapped out. Then what, a minute by Randy Couture? Two, three minutes maybe? So a McGregor-Mayweather fight wouldn't be pretty for Mayweather. If he can't knock him out in his first exchange, McGregor's probably going to take him down. So the way to do that fight is a mixed rules type of fight. So you can't take him down and you can't kick. But you're allowed to dirty box. So that would basically would be a dirty boxing type of boxing match. And this way, it would favor Floyd Mayweather a little bit. But it wouldn't be as bad as a Conor McGregor being the favorite if the rules were MMA. Thing is, if, if McGregor's allowed to clinch a little, Mayweather might be in the, in the world of trouble. But that's going to be the interesting part. So make it a... Boxing mixed type of rule. So a dirty boxing type of match. Now, yeah, you need to find a sanctioning body. You need to find a way to do this. And it's probably not going to happen. You need to agree on a weight class, too. For the two of them. They're close in weight. So if you're looking at... Uh, 145 was the weight of... Well, is the weight of Connor's championship weight class. Where he's in with the UFC. But it's hard for him to make that. If you go to Mayweather, 154 was... 147, 154, 161. Those were the weight classes where he fought and received championship titles and won championships in those weight classes. So there is probably a meeting ground somewhere for, for that to happen. But the biggest question, if that thing is even for real, that's the other caveat. Is this even real? Is Connor and Floyd just talking to try to make people talk? Trying to generate and create a buzz for something that don't exist. 
that's possible. That's very possible. But uh, what I do feel that's going to be different for a type of fighter like Connor and Floyd is Floyd is retired. And that rumor came out and he says he's talked about it. So maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's not. We're going to keep an eye on it. But it's going to be very hard to to figure out if it's real or not until it gets further down down the road. You are listening to SPN Radio, powered by the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit sportspodcastingnetwork.com for more. NBA playoffs. The Raptors, Toronto Raptors, are winning in the second round of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. 2-1 after 3. They lost the first one. They won the two, the second and the third. They won the first one in Miami. Kyle Lowry and company finally woke up and woken up and actually played really well. Thirty-three points for Kyle Lowry in the third match between uh, Miami and Toronto. Was able to uh, break the ankles of Dwayne Wade on a couple of occasions late in that match, when Miami tactically changed. Well, Whiteside is injured. Might not come back. I think Valentunas is injured as well and will be questionable for match four. But Whiteside could be missing a few weeks, if not the entire playoffs. So the fact that Whiteside is gone for Miami, it's a big body that was covering DeMar and Kyle effectively. That's not out of the question. So now you go back to the Raptors, maybe having the edge, even though their stars can't shoot. It's a defensive, ugly type of games on both sides of the court since the second round of the playoffs so far. So what's going to happen? Can Toronto win a second round series for the first time? Probably ever, I think. Did they make it to the conference finals once? Maybe, I don't know. I think they just won the first round. But they're only two wins away from a presence in the Eastern Conference Finals, which will be, for sure, against Cleveland. Atlanta's got heart, but Cleveland's got skills. And Cleveland is putting on a clinic with the most amount of three-point shots, 23 in a game by them on Atlanta in the first game. And they just continued that clinic all over Atlanta. Yeah. (laughs) All over Atlanta. It was almost crazy. Like, you were seeing... uh, uh, what's their faces? You were seeing uh, LeBron and all their friends having so much fun easily with, uh, <laughs> well, against everybody. It was almost, uh, well, a little bit, I wouldn't say like shameful, but let's just say that they had way too much fun in Atlanta. And it uh, wasn't a nostalgic territory whatsoever for the Cavaliers. It was more like a party and it was more like shades of this here going on in the background. And you had like Cleveland, Kevin Lowe, LeBron James dropping threes. Just draining threes. Just shooting threes. Sub Jermaine down the three. What's up Luda? 
down to three. What's up down to three? Exactly. It wasn't even pretty. But uh, Cleveland really looks confident. They haven't lost a game so far in the playoffs. So uh, Cleveland is a team to beat in the East so far. We've talked on Hardwood Radio, by the way. If you're a basketball fan, go to Sports Podcasting Network and, uh, well, listen to Hardwood Radio. We've talked about last week about how, well, Toronto and Cleveland were talked about in the whole season as being the favorites to meet in the Eastern Conference Finals. And right now, that's what it looks like. It So it has a chance of happening. It could happen. Toronto's slowly finding their groove back at the right time. They're winning ugly games. But they're winning it. Which wasn't the case before. So at least they're really close to being top shape. The injury to Valanciunas might be very important because Valanciunas was setting up great screens, was setting up open lanes for Lowry, especially in the last two games where he kind of finally shot back. But Valanciunas was a concrete 14, 13 points easily too per game because of his positioning and rebound. So if his injury is severe, the Raptors will need a contribution from the Pat Pattersons and from the Corey Josephs of this world that will be a little bit more upgraded than it was in the last two games, in the last victories. Uh, the Pat Pattersons and Corey Joseph were instrumental in Toronto's win over the Pacers in the first round. But for the Raptors to beat the Heat, well, they're going to need Lowry, especially DeRozan. Lowry's back up. Dero or Doro. Now it's your turn. It's your turn to, to step up and to help the Raptors and give them a victory. If the Raptors win game four and go back to the ACC at 3-1, it's over. Wrap up. You can write it in ink because uh, if the Heat loses the next one with the injury to Whiteside and the circumstance that I have to win two now, it becomes really hard for the Heat. The age is, in, the age is there. It's, that's the difference. The talent is there. Dwayne Wade and the rest, they have talented team. But they seem a little tired. If you're looking at a Dwayne Wade, the way he was like a cone against Kyle Lowry late in the game. I don't want to dismiss it, but that's what it was. Kyle Lowry, if you saw Sports Center or Sports Central, you saw that move where Kyle Lowry just stepped up and stepped back. And when he stepped up, he did it so efficiently, so surprisingly and quickly that Dwayne Wade just lost his stepping and fell. And when he stepped back, wide open three-pointer for Kyle Lowry. Like it's nothing. Draining threes. So that was impressive by Toronto. So if Miami doesn't uh, defensively get their game back and uh, able to play and take over the absence of a white side for them to be able to be successful against a Toronto. Maybe, but they definitely need to win game four. And that's where Toronto, if they win it, all the pressure's on Miami. Because Toronto now is in almost unknown territory. So that's for the NBA playoff. If you're a big basketball fan, I urge you to go to iTunes and subscribe to the Sports Podcasting Network feed where every Tuesday night or so, you will get Hardwood Radio. Ben and myself talking about the talking topics of the NBA for that week's, our prospect of the week, or just us geeking 
and talking about hoops. So you can hear that every Tuesday night on the Sports Podcasting Network. Uh, if you don't know where to go, sportspodcastingnetwork.com. Very easy to find. All right. Uh, now we'll take a small, quick break. When we come back, we will be talking about the NHL playoffs and NHL news. There's a couple of news that happened in the NHL today. New coaches. And we will be talking about this after this. The music on the Sports Podcasting Network is courtesy of St. Clair. Get their EP moving on on stclair.bandcamp.com. are listening to SBN Radio. This is Open Lines After Dark. I am Kevin Laramay. Studio lines are open. 1-802-375-7445. Call to talk about anything. NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs. Do you think we will ever see a Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather fight? Or is it just hype? Give us a call. Stars, Blues... Great series. I have to say, I'm impressed by the Blues, the way they've played in that series. I am impressed by the way Ken Hitchcock has evolved as a coach in the actual playoffs in 2016. I'm impressed how Dallas is still one of the best teams in the league, but can't seem to uh, get a break. And St. Louis gets all the break late in the playoffs. Uh, Dallas, you find this great example of the game that went to 3 OT. Dallas scored in that game, the OT, but the goal was waved off. A goal that maybe in the regular season, would have been called good. But because it's a playoff in overtime, you don't want to leave it to a questionable instant replay. So, they dis- they uh, disallowed it. So that does do a kind of a situation where Dallas feels like they got robbed a little. But the St. Louis leads the series 3-2. Yeah, moving on to the Dallas and Predators, uh, to the, um, sorry, Nashville say the San Jose series. You know, San Jose is playing in the playoff this year the way we always imagined they would with the type of team they had over the last decade. But they always choked. And yeah, we all saw that image of if you actually look at the logo of the shark where he's biting and you look at the stick, what comes out, there's a small part of that stick that's missing it used to be lodged in the throat of the shark and that's what he always used to choke on year after years in the playoff he used to choke on that part of stick and get eliminated in the first or second round but in 2016 i think they found a way to eliminate that piece of uh, stick that's stuck in the shark and the sharks looks good for once in the playoffs finds way to ways to win 
with a Pavelski, the captain of this club, that's actually taken them further than you would have imagined. Maybe it's the fact that nobody was looking at them as being world beaters in those playoffs because of their all right, good regular season, but they didn't win anything. They didn't win the President Cup. They didn't finish first of their division. So because of those reasons, the pressure of the playoffs for San Jose wasn't necessarily present. So for them to perform the way they're doing this year in the playoffs, when nobody expected them to do so, is a great benefit for them. And it's the type of year that it's getting open because especially in the Western Conference, the Blackhawks got, the Blackhawks got eliminated, upset elimination. San Jose, the LA Kings got eliminated by San Jose, upset elimination. The Ducks got eliminated. So the three dynasties, quote-unquote, in the Western Conference of the last few years are out this year. Maybe the three best teams in the Western Conference are out already. The Ducks, the Hawks, and the Kings. So it's wide open for the Sharks to finally get that playoff monkey off their shoulders. Especially their backs. And become maybe the Western Conference representative for the finals. Or maybe at least make it to the Western Conference finals. Which they're only one game away. A St. Louis-San Jose final would have been an an unexpected one. For sure. But a very entertaining one. Because those two teams right now are definitely the two best teams in the Western Conference. And definitely the two fastest and impressive type of uh, of hockey when I remember the two uh, the two games those two games that was in overtime a few days ago the pace of play in overtime by those two teams it's just crazy you're just alright it's starting they're skating and skating and skating and skating and skating and back and forth back and forth that overtime between San Jose and Nashville it's actually uh, I'll make a correction that I said earlier that's the one that came into three overtime, not the St. Louis and Dallas. That one did go to overtime just a few minutes before, but only lasted like a normal game. Only one overtime, you know. <laughs> that San Jose Sharks game. Three OT of crazy honky back and forth from net to net, circle to circle, blue line to blue line, without almost any ever stopping. It must be so tiring. But uh, yeah, it was a war. it's a war of attrition, that game it was. Unfortunately, San Jose lost that game, but they're still winning that series 3-2. And I do predict right now it's going to be a St. Louis Sharks Western Conference Finals. So on the East, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning have eliminated the Islanders. Again, the Islanders have been touted as a favorite this year because they had a a great... Uh, they were wild card, yes. They played against a great team that was Florida Panthers. But they eliminated the Panthers and they were facing... Tampa Bay Lightning and Lightning just won in four games. Well, in five, four, one. But Tampa Bay, even though they don't have Steven Stamkos, have found a Jonathan Drouin who doesn't mind playing for Tampa Bay anymore because he's been utilized properly and doesn't feel like he's being treated unfairly. So everybody's back to being happy now in Tampa Bay and they're on their way to the Eastern Conference Final. To face who? To face the winner of the Capitals and Washington, well, Capitals, Washington, and the Pittsburgh Penguins series. Right now, Pittsburgh wins 3-2. It was 3-1. Capitals won 3-1 last night. So now, it's up to, uh, goes back to, so it's a six match. It goes back to Pittsburgh now for game six. 
if Washington can win game six on the road, all bets are off. But the way Pittsburgh was playing before last night's game, fast, a very skilled type of play with not just Crosby, but Malkin and the rest of the supporting cast and a goaltender in Murray. Rookie, rookie, yes. But we all heard the story of rookie goalkeepers in the playoff standing on their head and propelling their team to higher grounds. Almost holy grounds when it comes to the conference the Stanley Cup Finals, if they can make it there. So, the Penguins, it is a great story with a Max Murray, the goalkeeper. So, if that goes through, if Pittsburgh wins, good. But I know a lot of Capitals, Washington fan in my friend's circle, and colleague circle, I'm talking about the Jonathan Tannenwald, Dwayne Rollins, uh, Semper Vivi, and as well as uh, uh, many more Capitals, Washington fan. Capitals are a one win or one defeat away from elimination in a year where they were touted as almost a sure thing to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. But as always, if they are true Capital Washington fans, they knew this was going to happen. It usually happens when it's about the Capitals in the playoffs. And it's kind of looking like it's going to happen now still. <laughs> so what do you think about the NHL playoffs? What do you think about the Ottawa Senators hiring Guy Boucher today as their new head coach? Uh, Guy Boucher, which will um, be a return for him in the NHL. After he was fired by the Tampa Bay Lightning a few years back, he went to Switzerland to Bern to coach the FC Bern, the DSC, well, HC Bern. And he was back in North America, not coaching in the last few months, but uh, working his connections and working the, the opportunities. And when Ottawa came calling, Guy Boucher answered. And Guy Boucher had a funny, funny um, trivia type of uh, question or fact here, trivia fact. The last game that the Guy Boucher coached in the NHL was for the Lightning, yes, but it was against Ottawa. And the next game he will coach will be for Ottawa. So that's another interesting little tidbit of information here. But uh, yeah, you can uh, give us a call again. Lines are open 1 802 375 7445. What do you think about Austin Matthews being the number one draft pick for the Leafs? It's a world championship going on right now. Uh, Canada destroyed Ungara Hungary yesterday, 5 nothing. But what do you think about the Austin Matthews and playing the way he made its way to the draft with playing in Europe before coming back here and getting drafted and not going all the way through with the juniors or the process that it does in the States or Canada over the last few years because he thought that his play was closer to the men's and Got a chance to play for the Zurich Lions. So, what do you think about that pathway to the NHL? Do you think it has a, a value and maybe has a different option for players that could be interesting life experience-wise? Maybe he's more mature than another number one draft pick would be because of that experience. That is one way to look at it, and it's going to be uh, defining to look at it next year with the Maple Leafs. And to be quite honest, with the amount of draft pick that the Maple Leafs do possess in the first four rounds of the NHL draft this year, it could be a quite quick turnaround for Toronto. No, they're not going to win the Cup in 2016-17, but they will definitely have an improvement and definitely have a clear 
game plan going forward, which is something that when you look at a Montreal team that uh, is going to draft ninth, horrible season plagued with injuries and bad decisions by the coaching staff and by the general managers as well this year, you don't necessarily have a clear and focused game plan going forward. You don't have that one Austin Matthews caliber type of player that's going to join your team next year. You don't. You get a Galchenyuk that's going to be improved. That has continued to grow as a leading scorer and best player talent-wise and skilled-wise in your team. Mixed with a Carey Price and B.K. Subban. Those three are the core. And stop the freaking rumors of, oh, trade Subban. They're going to offer uh, Taylor Hall and uh, they're going to offer uh, Nugent Hopkins and, uh, and uh, 12 sticks and plus a million dollars for Subban, yeah. No, and if the Montreal Canadiens trade Subban, I think it would be one of the worst trade and mistakes in the history of hockey. Well, for sure in the history of the Montreal Canadiens, but probably in the history of hockey. So I don't think that's going to happen at all. I don't think there's a chance. I don't think this is something we're going to see at all. What could be going on, what could happen is somebody else get traded or a draft pick type of trade if they want to go higher in the draft but it's not necessarily a deep draft class outside of the top two there's not necessarily any games changer there so that's one thing that could be interesting for the Montreal Canadiens is it worth it to to trade or to try to move up in the draft or to make a trade or to yeah no I don't know we'll see the the, the free agent market the Montreal Canadiens are and it's going to be hard because they do have good pieces, and but there's a like a well, there's a there's a stink factor with their season in 2016, 15, 15, 16. Is it going to refrain free agent from coming to this club? Because now they're going to think, look, we were thinking of going to Montreal the year before when Montreal was figured to be a contender, when Montreal was figured to be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. But after the injury to Carey Price, after the season and the locker room uh, disputes, allegedly, or all those things that happened in 2015-16, are they going to reconsider their options of a Montreal as a potential viable option as a free agent? Probably. They're probably going to look somewhere else. So that's going to be interesting the way this all unfolds over the next few weeks because it is a quite interesting season or more interesting off season that's going to happen for the Montreal Canadiens do I still got time to grow things ain't always set in stone that be known let me know let me Seems like streetlights glowing Happen to be just like moments passing in front of me So I hopped in the cabin I played my fair See, I know my destination But I'm just not
And we're back on SPN Radio. This is Open Lines After Dark. I am Kevin Laramie. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Kev Laramie or go to Facebook. Facebook.com slash Sports Podcasting Network. In the streets. So, the Giro d'Italia. Are you a big cycling fan? You're probably not. But if you are, you know that I am. For me, the, the sport of cycling and the amount of exertion and the amount of effort and the, well, the, the hardness, it's not a word, but the difficulty of a Grand Tour like the Giro d'Italia or the Tour de France, it's not even comprehensible. Comprehensible. You can't wrap your head around it until you have sat on a saddle and went for a spin on, a, on an actual decent bike for a few hundred kilometers. When you have done two, three days in a row of 50, 60, 70 kilometers, come back to me and look of the amount of kilometers they do in a Grand Tour and tell me that's a human effort. It's not. It's crazy. And for that reason, one of the reasons, and many more, the, the looks, the colored landscapes, the tactics, the fact that it's a individual sport run by a team, that you get marginal gains from being a team. You do get a lot of team, uh, gains. Uh, marginal in a way that statistically, yes, dra- drafting and cooperation does bring a lot to the race and help you perform as a cyclist and as perform better and get results. Yes, of course, 100%. And you need that. But we're still talking about gains in the 10, 20, and 30% ranges. If your motor, which is your heart and your legs and your blood vessels and your your the way you process information with your brain and how your brain tells your body to recover. This is it's a motorsport and that's the more than the engine. So uh, that's the crazy part about cycling. And the race like the Giro d'Italia, for me it's so beautiful. It's so full of rich of history, of course. The Tour de France is rich of history too. But there's always as a race enthusiast, if you watch more than just one cycling race in the whole season and more than just a Tour de France you'll notice the riders usually are not as stressed as they are on the Tour de France. And it makes for kind of boring races at the Tour de France sometimes because there's so much to lose that people would rather maintain their position and finish third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh than risk it all and might fail and finish 30th. But in a Grand Tour like the Giro d'Italia, you have outsiders, outliers, Team leaders that are not in the top 15 favorites that will maybe go on a solo attack in the mountains and gain four or five minutes on the whole field and then what, what's going to happen? Other teams have to react to that. Well, you do see those type of attacks in a Giro d'Italia that you don't in the Tour de France. So the beauty of the Giro d'Italia is a race, a cycling race that is less stressed. There's, there's less counting on it. And if you have a bad Giro, it doesn't taint your whole season like you do if you have a bad Tour de France. Just ask Griff Froome when he dropped out of Tour de France two years ago when he was an injury in Nibali one. Ask him if that didn't taint his whole season. He's going to answer, yeah, it did. He did not even win the Vuelta after that the other that year. Team Sky has never won the, actually, he did win the Vuelta. Team Sky has just never won the Giro before. But they Chris Froome if he doesn't win the Tour de France, his whole season is gone a-hole because, well, doesn't 
achieve his number one goal. But in the Giro d'Italia, it's something different. It's more of a measuring stick. It's more, can I do this? And where do I stand? And where do I rank up compared to the other riders? So that's the beauty of the Giro d'Italia. And you do have upset stories of Ryder Hachadal coming out of nowhere to win the Giro a few years ago. And getting the Mayo de Maglia Rosa or the Corsa Rosa, depending on which part of Italy you're from. Getting that pink jersey and having a strong enough team and good enough plan to hold on to it. Up until Milan that year. Up until he won the damn thing. So it is possible. So for that reason, for me, the Giro d'Italia is not that I like it more than the Tour de France. The Tour de France is the Tour de Dame France and it's the hardest bike race in the world. But the Giro comes close. And the Giro is more evolving and changes every year to year. Than the, the tracé, the route, does change more. And it, it lends itself to more entertaining racing, I do feel. And in, look, if you look at the... the Dolomites, which are a little shorter climbs, but steeper, makes for very impressive type of race and attacks. And we're going to see that in the end of next week, because tomorrow is the first rest day, an early rest day in the Giro d'Italia, because the first three stages of this year's Giro d'Italia were in the Netherlands. And the stage one was a time trial of 9.8 kilometers, won by local favorite Tom Dumoulin, who is born in the area of where the race was in Appledorm in Netherlands. Not in Appledorm per se, but uh, it was close enough that he called it home. So Tom Dumoulin, with that great victory in Appledorm, by not even a thousandth of a second, with the same time as the guy who finished second, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, it's very complicated. There's a lot of K's and J's and R and W's. So to be respectful, I'd rather say the cyclist that finished second not even a thousandth of a second away from Tom Dumoulin. Almost spoiled the day for all the fans and for Dumoulin himself. But the rider from Giant Alpeson was able to finish first and wear that pink jersey in day number one. Day number two was able to retain the pink jersey even though Marcel Kittel came very close to it. Claimed to one second of the pink jersey in stage two with a victory on the sprint. So now it was bringing to stage three, which was today, Sunday, May 7th. Uh, eighth. So today, uh, another sprint stage, flat stage, more, a lot more wind today than yesterday, but still not enough to worry the rider and cause a breakaway or cause a, a cassure in the peloton that would see favorite that would be hanging in the back and just taking it leisurely, lose time. No. So it was a very relaxed feeling to the race and uh, up until 2030K, close to the finish where the peloton caught up to the escapees. And eventually, we see Jair Abbasin come out. And Marcel Kittel win his second straight victories. Marcel Kittel wanted to prove that he did the right move, changing a team, changing from uh, Jair Abbasin, actually, who was there before. Now he's with a quick step. So, Marcel Kittel, now with a quick step, he wanted to show that he made the right move to win the Giro jersey in the first couple of days of the Tour de France of the Giro d'Italia, sorry, to prove that he made the right move, leaving Giant Alpeson and trying to fly on his own. Even though a team might not be 100% devoted to his cause, it was in those two stages. 
And it kind of will be. It's not necessarily focused in the GC. I do believe GC means general classification, if you are not familiar with it. But, you know, it's the type of uh, race that Jiro is this year so far that it's kind of open. There's no Contador. There's no defending champion he won last year. So it's Nibali. Tom Dubolin is in maybe a top five contender, maybe a contender for the podium or maybe the top spot, but still remains to be seen. And Nibali, Pozzo Vivo are all names that could maybe make it to the top five. I say Pozzo Vivo because he was a lieutenant, supposedly, or maybe the second leader in Age de la Mondiale, the first one being Jean-Christophe Perrault. But today, on Sunday, Jean-Christophe Perrault fell and was rendered render unconscious and wasn't able to continue. So he had to drop out of the race. He's fine. He's awake. He's, awake. He's fine. But unfortunately, his Giro d'Italia is over. So it's Tour of Italy as taking an abrupt turn, and it was a painful one for Jean-Christophe Perrault. But the team that does include Canadian Hugo Hull, defending and reigning national team, uh, yes, but national time trial champion as well, he's bidding for a spot in the Rio Olympics to represent Canada. There's only one spot for the Rio Olympics for the road team to, for the road time trial, and it's going to be a battle between Hugo Hull and Svein Tuft. Hugo Hull has some arguments being the reigning time trial champ, but Svein Tuft has a good argument finishing 25th in the team time trial. Uh, sorry, the uh, time trial that was the first stage, 9.8 kilometers. But it's a, such a short one that Hugo Hull didn't have a chance to express himself. He's not that type of rider like Svein Tuft. Svein Tuft is so powerful that if it's a prologue or even a short time trial, he can win or get close to it. He finished 25th, where he's not 100% focused for right now. Svein Tuft is more geared to this summer. So for Hugo Hull, who's going to have to perform great in the upcoming time trial in the third week, well, finish at the end of the second week, sorry. So for Hugo Hull, that's the target. That's one of the reasons why he's on the Giro d'Italia. But uh, Hugo Hull and his teammates are going to have to rally behind Domenico do Pozzavivo and uh, try to put him in the top 10, maybe top 5. I think it's an outside chance of a top 5 for the pocket Pozzo. But maybe he will be able to make it to the top five. I still do believe that it's Nibali's Giro to lose with Zumoulin maybe being the dolphin of the tour and maybe Ryder Echadal in the top five. I doubt that's going to be possible after the first couple of days. But Ryder is always impressive in the last week of the Giro and the stage 19 and 20 being maybe two out of the three toughest with stage 14 in this year's Giro might be a blueprint for Ed, a writer Eschetal to uh, achieve better success in this year's tour because it is it's it's Ryder's last year. He doesn't uh, hide it. It's the last time that he's gonna ride. It's the last year of his contract, but it's the last year of his career, according to him as well. And right now, he does feel like the Grand Tour that he loves to do, but it's love hate relationship is so hard, but he still likes to do it. He might feel that the Giro d'Italia might be his last Grand Tour. So he doesn't want to leave the Grand Tour scene on a bad note. So I wouldn't be surprised if he actually tries to perform really well in this Giro d'Italia. And even though a top 5, top 10 could be performed as a success for him, the way he's going to achieve it is, well, he struggles in the beginning and he's good at the end. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen for him. So we'll see. That's a possibility. 
for the Giro d'Italia. With rider Eshadal coming into week three of the Giro, that's where he will finally get into rhythm. But uh, hopefully, well, right now, the Giro d'Italia, Marcel Quitel is first in the GC classification after stage three with a 13, well, nine hours, 13 minutes and 10. So basically, he's nine seconds ahead of Tom Dumoulin, second of Team Giant Alpesen. André Amador, lieutenant for Valverde with Movistar, but André Amador is actually going to probably be breathing down the neck of Valverde as team leader this year in the Giro you know, because he finished second, if I'm not mistaken, in the team in the time trial to start the Giro. You know, and André Amador has continuously proven that he might be the best cyclist in Movistar's team right now, even though Valverde. Well, we'll talk about the team for the for for the, the Giro because obviously. You have Quintana for the Tour de France. But Valverde now 16th with 33 seconds behind. André Amador has uh, 18 seconds on his teammate. We'll see how that develops going forward, especially when we hit the mountains. But uh, if Amador is not the victim of team demands that he waits for Valverde, it could be interesting. The dynamic of that team could change. And it could be literally the passing on the torch on the road for Movistar from a Valverde to a Amador. So that will be one of the storylines to keep an eye on in the next few weeks in the Giro d'Italia. You're a big cycling fan. Yeah, another shameless plug, uh, shameless plug for an SPN show. Kevin Talk Cycling. Yeah, that's me. That's Kevin. I talk about cycling. If you're interested about the Giro and you want to know more and want to know more about how it works, listen to the Giro d'Italia preview that came out earlier this week that explains the stages the stage to look for the sprint stages mountain stages mountain top finishes the team to look for the riders to look for it does talk about all that so just go to sportspodcastingnetwork.com for all the details And we're back on Open Lines After Dark. I am Kevin Laramie, and this is SBN Radio. Uh, one of the biggest watched events on TV every year always blows my mind. It's always something in the last two minutes, but it's always one of the biggest audience and ratings they do every year for NBC. The Kentucky Derby happened Saturday. And uh, the, the logic was respected. The horse that was favored 2-1, to one, Nyquist. Mario Gutierrez, the jockey. The winner of the Triple Crown last year. Was the jockey of this horse this year. He is touted as the heir apparent to an American pharaoh. Not as because he's the same owner or nothing now. Not the same owner. And it's not Bob Bungles, the trainer, like it is for it was for American pharaoh. But for Nyquist, which is uh, Nyquist for Detroit player Nyquist, Gustav Nyquist, 
That's why the Red Wings retweeted the Derby tweets with Nyquist in it. But yeah, so Nyquist is the heir apparent, maybe to a American Pharaoh. He didn't really dominate in the Kentucky Derby. Second horse, which I forget the name already. Uh, you're, uh, exaggerator. There we go. Exaggerator finished second with about one and one and a quarter horse length behind, which is not a lot in the history. Secretariat had 14 or something. Maybe exaggerating, but that's that's what the legend grew up to be. Amount of length of horses between him and the contender. American Pharaoh last year won easily a couple of the races, especially the Kentucky Derby. It was closer going into the Preakness after winning the Belmont and the Kentucky Derby. But this year, will we see another Triple Crown? I do believe that because of American Pharaoh's performance last year in the three races, so we're talking about the Kentucky Derby in Kentucky, the Belmont Stake in Belmont, New York, and the Preakness, which I forget where the Preakness is. Where is the Preakness? We'll uh, take a second and look where the Preakness is. But no, when you're looking at the Triple Crown, it's interesting, especially this year, because last year it became so popular. It became literally a talking book of the whole country, not just the sports world, because it's a... Uh, well, when you ca- catch the attention of a whole nation, of a whole country, because of a performance of an athlete, and I do consider... American Pharaoh or horses that do race like that as being athletes, not because they can't communicate with us and they're not human beings that are not athletes in this instance, because, well, it's very interesting. When you're looking at the Preakness, what's interesting is the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes are the second and third race after the Kentucky Derby. The Derby is not the easiest one to race. They're both different. One of them is ran on, uh, on grass. I can't remember which one. But it's uh here let me why is it always in the wrong language when you go to wikipedia eh? i don't know but that what happened but for the preakness what's interesting to me uh, going into the preakness now is if he will continue to dominate nyquist won is undefeated still he won eight races in a row before he won the kentucky derby when he goes to baltimore maryland that's where the preakness says will he be able to continues dominance as a flat thoroughbred i it's interesting he's got the jockey to do it his jockey is the third time winner of the kentucky derby so that's going to be interesting to see if they move on with this but going back to my original thought of horse racing now in 2016 and the whole pageantry and the culture it's almost forgotten in a way and people had a chance to rediscover it last year and i think it really caught on and people uh, we're going to wait for the ratings that are to come out tomorrow for the Kentucky Derby, Derby that happened Saturday. But it's interesting to me to see the amount of people that watched it. Just my personal experience yesterday, where I was, it's not a sports place at all. And it's not, there was three TVs and it's a restaurant or bar, you would say, of a lobby. And it's not a place where you expect a lot of people to gather and watch. When it came time for the for uh, the Kentucky Derby yesterday... Seems everybody knew that at 6.34 it was time to step in front of a TV. And almost wherever you were, TVs got changed for a second, got put to NBC. People watched that race and changed after. And it's always interesting to see that race, the horses, 
if you go to be just before the start of the race, before the race was uh, started in the stalls, a couple of horses lost their cool and there was other horses uh, affected by it. So no, it's a fascinating part of American sports, the horse racing. And I say American, it's not just American. You're right. It's international. And in England, it was very popular. It is still very popular. We'll talk about the, the Queen's Bride and all that. But going to... Now, we're going to the Preakness and to the Belmont Stakes. Will Nyquist continue his dominance and be a Triple Crown, maybe? I don't know. It was. Uh, it took up until 78 for American Pharaoh to win, to be the first one since... 78 to win it, and American Pharaoh was last year, and Secretary was 72. But American Pharaoh was touted as maybe he's being not as good, but the second best horse in the history of man, maybe. That would probably be the consensus. We'll see where Nyquist fits right now in Nyquist. I don't think in the same league, because there was nothing really impressive by his win in the Derby. It wasn't by 5 to 10 uh, length. It was just a win by one and a quarter. And that he was actually, if the race was longer, Exaggerator was coming up on him. So, I'm not convinced by Nyquist. And no, I call it now. Nyquist is not winning the Triple Crown in 2016. It's coming to the end of this show, Open Lines After Dark. I'm Kevin Larmy. Hope you like our new sound and our new setup. You can join us on sportspodcastingnetwork.com. If you want to reach us, give us a comment, an email, go to, uh, well, your email company, whatever it is, an email to sportspodcastingnetwork at gmail.com, on Twitter at sportspodnet or at kevlarame, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash sportspodcastingnetwork. This new venture and all the new equipment and audio that you can hear is made possible thanks to your support. Thanks to your pledges and your patronage. So go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash sports podcast network. Give us a dollar, two dollars a month, anything help. And if you take the pledge and take the dive for that $10 pledge, you will have an automatic jump the queue privilege in calling shows on SPN radio. So Give us a chance. Go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash sports podcasting network for all the details and for all the information. Hope you like Open Lines After Dark. I am Kevin Laramie, and until next time, have a great sports. You were listening to SPN, the sports podcasting network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.